Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for March 22nd, Wednesday. My name is Shelby Herbert and I report for KFSK. I'd like to take a moment to issue a correction on the recent story regarding the Assembly meeting agenda for Monday, which aired also Monday, uh, March 20th. That story has been changed to reflect that Petersburg Police Department Chief Jim Kerr's lawsuit against the borough regards alleged defamation and false light and not harassment, as previously reported. Climate activists aren't letting up after President Joe Biden last week approved ConocoPhillips' Willow Project to drill for oil in Alaska's western Arctic. They've launched a series of protests in Washington, D.C., Alaska Public Media Washington correspondent Liz Ruskin went to a protest and reports the issue could dog the president into next year's presidential campaign. Inside the Interior Department headquarters near the White House, Biden announced new monuments in Nevada and Texas. He also used the occasion to brag on his environmental and climate record. You know, my first year in office, we protected more lands and waters than any American president since John Kennedy. Inside the Interior Department, about 20 anti-Willow protesters beat on plastic drums. Biden made action to reel in greenhouse gas emissions a central plank in his campaign. His decision on Willow, the largest pending oil project on federal land, quickly galvanized opposition online, particularly among young people who watched anti-Willow TikTok videos by the millions. So far, the in-person protests haven't been of that scale, but the sustained focus could threaten to tarnish Biden's legacy on climate. Nadia Nazar, an art student from Baltimore, says the protesters want Biden to feel the pressure when he makes future decisions on oil development and to know that his re-election could be on the line. A lot of young people turned out and voted for him last election, and he made these promises to us, and the climate crisis is something that's so important to not only us, but so many people here. Protesters also disrupted a presentation at a Washington think tank this week featuring White House climate advisor Ali Zaidi. Reporting from Washington, I'm Liz Ruskin. With southeast Alaska king salmon stocks in a years-long slump, fisheries across the region can expect restrictions aimed at letting more kings return to spawn. But as Sage Smiley reports from Wrangell, the region's commercial fisheries manager says there are signs of hope. There is a slight upward trend showing across the region. Like many other Chinook salmon runs in the state, southeasts have been declining for years. Troy Tinas manages the region's commercial salmon fisheries for the Alaska Department of Fishing Game. And this is mostly attributed to the to the marine environment, whether that be near shore, the, the inside waters, or, or out in the ocean. When they, when they get out in the ocean, they've been experiencing poor survival. It's not a not a freshwater related issue or a, necessarily a, a fishery harvest issue. It's just a, a survival in the in the marine environment. But recent numbers are looking more promising. Tina says the northern panhandle is faring a bit better than the south. Although still considered poor, the Yisitek and Alsek rivers and even the Chilkat near Haines are forecasted to have stronger runs than southern southeast this year. In general, our forecasts for this upcoming year have been better than what they have been for the past several years. 
And that's the indication that we're seeing some better survivals out there. And hopefully that trend continues and we start rebuilding these stocks up to a level where we don't have to take such severe restrictions and, and then again, continue that rebuilding process to where uh, we can start having some directed fisheries on these stocks again. But even with the modest increase, the region's runs are still considered poor and fishing will be restricted for the time being. Tina says state managers have very few options to try and protect dwindling Chinook or King salmon stocks. As far as management energy goes for, for these stocks, the, the only thing we can do is, is try to reduce harvest, which we have been doing for a number of years, and that's been through emergency order actions and, and then actions that have been dictated through the stock concern action plans that were approved by the Board of Fisheries. Quite a few fisheries harvest king salmon in southeast, commercial fisheries like the troll, seine, and drift gillnet fisheries, as well as sport and subsistence fisheries. All those fisheries have taken limitations, whether than in, in the case of the commercial fisheries, non-retention in the first same fishery, reducing and drift gillnet fishery, reducing area that's open, as well as time during the, uh, when the shark salmon are running. Same thing with troll fishery. Troll fisheries probably have the, the largest closures in the, in the winter troll fishery and the spring troll fisheries with areas being severely restricted and time being cut. And then in sport fishery, there's been non-retention implemented in a number of areas around the, the terminal areas, especially around the terminal areas of, of these uh, wild systems. Tina says in some cases, it's been a dramatic reduction with allowable harvest as low as 5% of expected runs. We've been doing about all we can do short of having a massive closures in, in all these fisheries. And, and those restrictions that we have been taken in recent years have been very effective in reducing the harvest rates on the side. In the sport fishery, much of the inside passage from Ketchikan to Skagway has strict non-retention measures in place until midsummer, except in very limited hatchery areas. Tina says those measures will continue this year, retention limits, time and area limits, pretty much everything Fish and Game has been doing to try and protect Southeast Kings. This isn't, you know, just Southeast. We've seen Chinook salmon stocks up and down the, the coast have been in, in a state of decline. But in Southeast, it's, it's from one end of Southeast to, to the top end where we have stock concerns listing for, for the Eunuch River, for the Stikine River, for Andrews Creek and Taku River and Chilkat, as well as the King Salmon River. Fish and Game won't set an all-gear King Salmon harvest limit until April. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. There will be no commercial Togiak Sacro herring fishery this spring. As Izzy Ross reports from Dillingham, the market for the row has dwindled for decades, making the remote fishery financially unfeasible. Fish processors have indicated they will not buy togiak herring this season, according to the Alaska Department of Fish and Games Outlook released on Monday. It's the first time there hasn't been a commercial fishery there in decades. That means over 57,000 tons of herring will go unharvested. Alaska's herring fisheries primarily target spawning fish to harvest sac row, the eggs in the skein of the females. And Togiak's herring fishery was a big business in the late 1980s and early 90s. Japan is Alaska's main market for herring row, and processors sold it to customers there at over $1,000 a ton. 
But as the market has declined, so has the price for herring. According to Fish and Game, over the last decade, it's fluctuated between $50 and $150 a ton. That makes it tough for the remote Togiak herring fishery to pencil out financially. The size of the commercial fleet in Togiak has shrunk as well. It used to comprise hundreds of vessels. But last year, no gill netters fished and just eight per seine vessels participated, hauling in less than a quarter of the available harvest. Togiak herring, meanwhile, are doing just fine. This spring's herring biomass is forecast to be over 300,000 tons, far above average. The department says that that large forecast is mainly due to the survival of two age classes of herring. Most of the mature herring this year will be six- and seven-year-old fish. Water temperatures in the southeastern Bering Sea and at the spawning grounds near Togiak influence when the herring spawn, and the department staff will still survey the biomass this spring. They use sea surface temperature models near Unalaska to predict the run timing. They also track the Bering Sea's ice coverage in February and March. This year, herring are expected to start spawning around Togiak on April 29th. While no commercial fishermen will be harvesting togiak herring this spring, that doesn't affect the Dutch Harbor food and bait fishery to the south, which is allocated about 4,000 tons. In Dillingham, I'm Izzy Ross. A six-year legal battle between the estate of the late Molly Parks and the Petersburg Borough has ended. On February 22nd, the Alaska Supreme Court dismissed the Parks family's appeal of a superior court judgment. That decision dropped the Petersburg borough from a wrongful death lawsuit over a 2016 van accident. The crash killed 18-year-old Molly Parks and 19-year-old Marie Giesbrecht, the daughter of Petersburg's borough manager. The Parks family is shifting its focus focus to changing the state's compensation law for those who lose their lives at work. Molly Parks was an employee of the Petersburg Borough's Parks and Recreation when she died in the 2016 vehicle crash. She and three other workers were on their way to set up for a running race as part of the borough's 4th of July celebration. The driver, Chris Allen, suffered a seizure in the moments before the van drove through a guardrail. Madonna and R.D. Parks have been seeking justice for their daughter's death for nearly seven years. R.D. says the family never got answers from the borough. It's been held. Basically, it's been held since July 4th, 2016. It's it's not as painful as it was, but it's still incredibly painful, and it will be for the rest of our lives. And the fact that this was so unnecessary, her employer just turned her back on us. They killed her, and then they just turned her back on us and never told us anything. Molly was the couple's only child. Madonna Parks says the accident and the ensuing legal battle changed the entire landscape of their lives. I I never went back to work. I couldn't do it and do this, too. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard not having our daughter. It's hard. Uh, I, we just visited a niece who had twin boys. My daughters, we're not going to see grandchildren. You know, she, her classmates are getting married, having babies. Uh, she wanted to be a special education teacher. There's an opening at the school for that. She would have come back and applied. The Parks family's lawsuit initially sought damages from the driver and the borough. Then the state was added, with the plaintiffs contending that the crash would not have happened if the state had installed a higher guardrail. At the end of February, the Supreme Court of Alaska dismissed the case.
In a two-to-one vote, the court ruled that the borough followed Alaska law regarding the Workers' Compensation Act. Madonna and R.D. were out of town when they got the news. Madonna says the dismissal reopened the wound of Molly's death. We were sitting in Orange Beach, Alabama. There's a park there that we rode our bikes every day through, and we stopped to have lunch, and there was the email from our lawyer. And I remember going, don't start crying here. Just don't do it. So... I got up and went in the bathroom, got a little bit of it out and came back. And it's like, I can't deal with this right at the moment. We're literally on our bikes. We decided to have one last ride. And it's like, we can't deal with it right here. So we just waited till that evening and went and, and read the decision. And it was, it, it was soul sucking. It was. Chief Justice Daniel Winfrey and Justice Jennifer Henderson dismissed the case on the basis that the Parks family's appeal was too narrowly focused. And they decided the allegations against the borough and the driver, Allen, do not meet the requirements of an intentional harm claim under Alaska law. However, the two judges acknowledged that Parks' death was likely preventable and said they recognized the harshness of the low compensation available. Under the Alaska Workers' Compensation Act, the Parks family was only entitled to up to $10,000 for Molly's death. That amount was supposed to cover her funeral expenses. Justice Susan Carney dissented to the ruling, saying, quote, I cannot join in such a clear miscarriage of justice. Carney cited evidence of Allen's longstanding history of seizures before and after working at the borough. The court noted the seizures Allen suffered at work for the borough that same year, including one while working at the Petersburg Parks and Recreation front desk. Following that incident, the borough developed a plan to have a second employee always present with Allen so that he would not be alone during a seizure. However, Allen's supervisors allowed him to continue working as a lifeguard and drive the borough van. That was just three months before the accident that took the lives of Marie Giesbrecht and Molly Parks. Madonna says she and R.D. are still waiting for answers. How was he hired to work in a facility that is geared towards children? Why did they give him the keys to that van? Was there an internal review afterwards? Was there any policy change? Did anybody get demoted? Did anybody get fired? Did anybody even get a stern lecture? The borough declined to answer questions about the suit. Borough manager Steve Giesbrecht also lost a daughter in the wreck, and he has remained quiet about the incident over the years. Instead, the borough released a written statement. It said the borough did not agree with Justice Carney's dissent, but said, quote, The borough's deepest sympathies go out to the Parks and Giesbrecht families. The pain of this tragedy will stay with Petersburg forever. Moving forward, the Parks family hopes to work with the state legislature to change the Workers' Compensation Act, which, they say, allows individuals, businesses, and government entities to hide behind the shield of workers' compensation when their actions result in death or injury to their employees. I mean, this is the last thing we will ever do for her. Uh, you know, we'll always remember her and honor her memory, but this is the last piece of justice we can get for her. I mean, she just walked out the door on a Saturday morning and never came home. And she went to a very low risk job. She wasn't logging. She wasn't fishing. She wasn't in a float plane. She should have come home that night. If the Parks family is successful in getting the workers' compensation statute changed, they hope it will be named Molly's Law. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert.